0: Let's get started. I say a big hearty amen to uh, Lauren and him uh, saying and praying over that you go out different than when you came in because you've heard the word of God. So I'm going to believe in faith. You're going to grab hold of something that's going to change you, uh, make you different from from when you came in to when you go out. So let's start with this. We're going to go over Deuteronomy 34. Uh, A few verses from there, and the title is God Knows What He's Doing. God Knows What He's Doing. This is the last chapter of Deuteronomy. Uh, Moses is the author of the book, and Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. This is the chapter that we will say farewell to Moses, because Moses dies in this chapter. So we will look at that, and we'll start with Deuteronomy 34, verses 1 through 3. It says, Now Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo, on the top of Pisgah, which is opposite Jericho. And the Lord showed him all the land, Gilead as far as Dan, and all of Naphtali, and the land of Ephraim and Manasseh, and all the land of Judah as far as the western sea and the Negev and the plain and the valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees, as far as Zor. Now, on top of this mountain, it is just Moses and God alone. Nobody else is with him. And God takes him to the top of this mountain, higher elevation, to give him a better view, to show Moses the whole land, the promised land. And so he could see every inch of it, From here to there and everywhere on top of that mountain. Now, I wrote down a few things. That a better view gives clearer vision and different perspective. A better view gives clearer vision and a different perspective, which is exactly what God did with Moses. You see, most of us can relate to a better view and different perspective when we're on an airplane 3,000 feet up. For those of you that don't fly, um, you haven't seen this, but probably the majority of us have. And I'll tell you, you just don't get a better view than when you're 30,000 feet up in the air. I love it when I get the window seat because I love looking out. I love looking out at the vastness and the beauty below. It's a whole different picture. It's a clear vision. It's a better perspective. I'm always amazed at how it looks like square patches. You never see that when you're down in the lowlands, but when you get higher, it's like cut up in square patches. The beauty of the mountaintops that you don't ever get to see when you're down low, but when you fly up high, you see the beauty of the top of the mountaintops, and especially if there's snow on there, the beauty of that. The fluffiness of the clouds, I've told Doug, they're just so fluffy looking. And uh, that's a beautiful thing to see when you're higher up. Buildings and vehicles look so small and tiny. Perspective also changes according to how close or how far you are to the situation. Our second slide is perspective changes according to how close or how far you are to your situation. When we're too close to our situation or our problems, our perspective tends to be negative. We're just simply too close to whatever it is we're facing. And when we're too close, we don't see things rightly. We begin to see all the difficulties that we're having. We begin to see how tough it is, how difficult it is. And we become negative and we become angry because we're just simply too close to the problem. if we would step back and take a different view, it could change our perspective. I guess I would ask you today, are you too close to your problem today, whatever is before you, your circumstance? Are you just too close to it? Is all the negative aspects bringing you down? Are you overwhelmed? Are you angry? Are you frustrated? Are you having a difficult time getting a better view of your situation so that your perspective can change? Let me quickly give you four ways to help you get a different perspective and a clearer vision. Number one, ask for help if you find yourself in this place. Ask for help, don't struggle alone. I use Doug all the time, and that's one of the major gifts of being married is I know I don't have to go this alone. I have a spouse that I can go to and I can say, help me. And I do that with Doug. I struggled with fear for 10 years of my life in my 30s and got set free in my 40s. I mean, fear that kept me almost in my home, that kept my children from riding bikes and going places and staying with my parents for fear that something would happen to them, it was bad. And God set me free, praise God. But every now and again, the stinking devil will start to throw some fear my way and I stop it immediately. And sometimes I go to Doug and I say, help me. My mind is skewed in this area. I'm not thinking straight. Can you just walk me through this? And he does. I do not go it alone anymore. I also use my women's leadership team, women's ministry leadership team, on a couple of occasions. They're good, godly women. I sent them a text not too long ago when I was going through something and it was right in front of me and I needed a clear vision, different perspective. And all I said was, I could sure use some help right now. Will you pray for me? Didn't give them the situation. That's all they needed to know. And every one of them got back to me and said, we're praying. The second thing you can do is step away from that situation or that circumstance or problem that's causing you anxiety. Just step away from it for a little bit. Now here's where it gets nuts. Step away from the internet. What? Step away from your phone. What? Step away from the TV. You may have to step away from those things. Do you know that the average American touches their phone 2,617 times a day? I just had somebody text me that was in first service and they said, you know what I'm gonna do? I hate my phone anyway. And every time I touch it, I'm gonna say, I love you, Jesus. So I'm gonna tell him I love him over 2,000 times a day. (laughs) Wow, that's clever. Stepping away from technology is possible. In fact, research says it's needed to recharge your motivation. Now, I'm not talking about a long period of time. I'm just talking about enough time to step away from all the distractions and the noise and all the things you keep hearing, all the things you're searching and all the things you're looking at and all that stuff, just for a short period of time to get rid of the noise so that you can sit before God and be still and know that he is God. That's all. Then hop back on. Change your routine. Doesn't need a lot to say about that. Change your routine. If your perspective is wrong, you're not seeing a clearer vision, then change it up. Insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over again, and I don't like that. I changed my routine a couple weeks ago, and I went to a a grocery store that was on the other side of town. I said, I'm sick of going to the same one. I need to just change it up. I need to see new people, new faces, new tellers, just a new building so that I can see things a little different. And the devil says, Yeah, but you won't know where anything is in that store. You know right where everything is in that store. You know where the you know the peanuts are, you know where the crackers are. I said, I don't care if I'm in there three hours and I don't like to grocery shop, I'm going to a different store. I'm gonna change things up a little bit. And then fourthly, immerse yourself in God's word. When you need a clearer vision, a different perspective. Immerse yourself in God's word when you need to improve those things. God's word will lift your focus. His word is powerful. It will lift your focus. Immerse yourself in that. For instance, I jotted down one verse. I mean, we could go on and on and on and on with verses. But Isaiah 55:8 8 through 9, write this down. For God says, Vicki, my thoughts aren't your thoughts. Neither are my ways your ways, says the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, Vicki, my ways are higher than your ways. I don't think the way you do, I don't do things the way you do. You've got to understand that and trust me. And I can walk away from that verse and say, Thank you, Jesus. I have a different perspective and I see that vision clear because I know you're in control. You're higher in your thoughts and your ways than me. A.W. Tozer, fantastic author, says this that I think is so profound that I've wrote it down in my journal. Whatever keeps me from my Bible is my enemy however harmless it appears to be. Whatever keeps me from my Bible is my enemy, however harmless it seems to be. Well, I'm not gonna read my Bible this morning because the Today Show comes on at eight. And then after that, I gotta cook breakfast for the kids. And then after that, I've gotta get the kids to school. And then after that, I gotta get lunch ready and go. And then I gotta put laundry in. And then I gotta, see, that can go on forever. And as harmless as that seems, it's, an, it's the enemy using that to keep you from the word of God. And he says it perfectly. If you're not in your word, then the enemy's keeping you from it. Whatever keeps me from my Bible is my enemy, however harmless it appears to be. Now, there's not a day that goes by unless I'm sick or there's a, another type of circumstance going on that I don't have the word in me whether it's just one small verse, whether it's a quick devotion, whether it's longer time of reading my Bible, I have come to learn after walking with God for over 40 years, I can't live life on earth without God's word in me. Just, I can't do it. I get angry, I get frustrated, and all those things of the flesh come in. So I have learned, and sometimes it's quick, but I'm gonna get the word in. And so I couldn't agree with him more. We pick the story back up in 34 4, chapter 34 4. They're on top of the mountain, and then the Lord said to Moses, This is the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I have let you see it with your eyes, Moses, but you shall not go over there. We see here God lovingly and graciously showing Moses all of the promised land that he talked about all the way back in Genesis. To Abraham. I believe God is confirming to Moses I want you to see this Moses because I am a God of my word. I am a God who keeps his promises and here is the promised land. I brought you up to Mount Nebo so you could see all of it. Maybe you're here today and a word for you today is that God is saying I am a God who keeps my promises. I know what I'm doing. Back in verse 4, we've got to go over where God says to Moses, here's the promised land, but you're not going in. You're not going in there, Moses. Meaning you shall not cross over because the last stretch of the 40 years in the wilderness was them crossing the Jordan River. This is it. You're at the end. You've got to cross over the Jordan, and the people will cross over, but you won't. You're not crossing over. Okay, stop. I was sitting at my kitchen table and I said, stop, I can't. I can't with this. Moses isn't going into the promised land. I mean, I had tears in my eyes. My God, that is heartbreaking. I don't get it. The reason why it broke my heart is because I've come and grown to love Moses. For as long as I've read the Bible, I've gotten to know Moses. And this man of God, this man who started off as a baby boy in a wicker basket and put in the Nile River so that his life would be spared... Moses, the faithful brother to Aaron and Miriam, he was the spokesman for a nation, for Israel. Even when he didn't want to be, and he told God, you've got the wrong person. I have this speech impediment. I'm not doing it. And even though he didn't want to, he ended up being a spokesman for a nation. He was hailed as a leader of God's people that led the people out of slavery in Egypt. Moses was the one that God used to inflict all the plagues in the land of Egypt. He was a miracle worker. My goodness, he parted the Red Sea. He was a prophet. And we're told since then there has been no prophet that has risen in Israel like Moses. That's the Moses I've grown to love. He was the man that God God gave the Ten Commandments to. Not once, but twice. He was the man God spoke to through the burning bush, that bush that didn't burn up. He was a shepherd to God's people in the wilderness for 40 long years. And he's not going in. I mean, the promised land is like the cherry on top of the ice cream. It's the best part. And God says, yeah, but you're you're not going in people are, but you're not going to lead them. You see, Moses' life falls into three periods of 40. He said he died at the age of 120. The first 40 years were spent in Egypt because it was Pharaoh's daughter who took him out of that Nile River and raised him as an Egyptian, even though he was born as a Hebrew boy. The second 40 years, he lived in the land of Midian where he got married and he had his sons and his family. Then the last 40 years of his life, was wandering in the wilderness with the people of Israel and leading them and guiding them. Yet Moses, for all of his blessings, was not allowed to enter the promised land by God. And why not? Why did God say no? Well, Deuteronomy 32 tells us this. The message translation I like, 51 through 52 He says, this is because, Moses, you broke faith with me. Because you broke faith with me in the company of the people of Israel at the waters of Meribah Kadesh in the wilderness of Zin. Moses, you didn't honor my holy presence in the company of the people of Israel. You'll look at the land spread out before you, but you're not going to enter it. This land that I'm going to give to the people of Israel. God was referring to this incident that He's talking about, found in numbers 20. And they've come to the end of their 40 years in the wilderness, and they land at the wilderness of Zin, Moses and the Israelites. And they get there, and the problem is, there's no water, and the Israelite people get mad, because it didn't go their way. They were angry. And they said, "Moses, there's no water here, and we're thirsty." And they turned against Moses and Aaron, the Bible says. And so Aaron and Moses go to the tent of meeting where the presence of God is. And the Bible says they lay prostrate on the ground. And God speaks to them and tells Moses and Aaron, go gather the people. I want you to speak to the rock. And water will come forth. So Moses Took the staff and gathered the people, just like God told them to. Then, seemingly, in anger, Moses says this to them. We pick up the story in Numbers 20 10 through 11. Moses says this Listen now, you rebels. Shall we bring forth water for you out of this rock? Then Moses lifted up his hand and he struck the rock twice with his rod and water came forth abundantly in the congregation. And the beast drank. The people were happy. They had water. It's what they wanted. Water came forth from that rock just as God had promised. It didn't come the way God had spoken it to come, but God is faithful to his word. water came from the rock. God immediately tells Moses and Aaron, because you broke faith, and to break faith, broke faith means you violated my deity. You violated who I am, Moses. You didn't trust me. You didn't treat me with holy reverence because I'm a holy God. And you did it in front of the people. In front of the people of Israel, my children. So you two aren't going to lead this company into the land that I'm giving them. I have to be honest with you. I so get why Moses was angered. Listen, rebels, you rebels, I get it. I get that he was probably tired of their griping and complaining. It's at the end of the 40 years of the wilderness and it's coming to an end and here they are griping again. There's no water. And it had been going on for so long, they griped and complained about everything. And what do we do when we're around people that gripe and complain about everything? We turn around and go the other direction from those people. We've labeled them. We know who those people are. We don't like to be around those people. And so we go the other way. Moses was probably tired of hearing the griping and complaining. But nonetheless, it's not an excuse to do what Moses did. He was their leader. You know, God's original plan for Israel was to take their promised land in days, not decades. It was a straight line from Egypt to the promised land. But God said, You're a people that aren't ready. And it took them four decades to get to the promised land. And could that be true for us that God says, I've got this wonderful plan for your life. I've got this land of milk and honey, the land of Canaan for you. But you're not ready because you still don't trust me. I can't get you from point A to B because you still don't do what I ask you to do. And you're just not ready. I could get you there a lot sooner if you just listen to me all that Moses had done with God and for God. And now he's not going in. However, when we look closely at the action of Moses, he made several mistakes. Moses sinned. The most obvious, Moses disobeyed a direct command from God. He disobeyed a direct command and God said, I'm telling you, speak to the rock. And Moses hit the rock twice. There was a time in Exodus 17 where God had told Moses, I want you to strike the rock with your staff, but not this time. He said, this time I want you to speak to it. And so we get caught up sometimes and well, God did it this way last time, so he'll do it this way this time. Usually not, usually never happens that way. God is always usually doing it some way different. So don't get locked in. If God did it one way, he's going to do it that way all the time. Usually never happens that way. So he stood in complete disobedience to God's word. Second, Moses took the credit for bringing forth the water. Remember we read, he said, I mean, what are we supposed to do? Bring water out of the rock for you? Is that what you want us to do? We? He took the credit for it. Must we bring water out of the rock when it should have been attributed to God? God. And then Moses did this publicly. God could not let it go in unpunished and expect the Israelites to understand the holiness of God. Simply put, because Moses misrepresented God. God said, that's not who I am. And you misrepresented me in front of the people and i can't let them think that that's who i am in writing this i had to jot down this paragraph be very transparent with you that i had to repent and confess of my sin during a time where i was on the phone talking with somebody and my mouth got real loose a oh, way too loose And I'm even ashamed to admit it after walking with God this long and even holding a position that God has graciously given me that I consider to be a tremendous honor. Some of what I said should have never came out of my mouth. Not only did I have to confess before God and repent, but I had to text that person back after I got off and apologize And say, I'm sorry, what I said, the words that came out of my mouth were wrong and I misrepresented God. I violated his deity. That's not God. They were so gracious and text me back and said, oh, there isn't anything you could do that would ever change my mind about who you are in God. And it wasn't all that bad. It could have been a lot worse. I said, well, thank you. But nonetheless was between me and God and it was bad. I should have been way beyond that. We pick the story back up in Deuteronomy 34, five through seven. So Moses, the servant of the Lord died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. And he, God buried him in the valley in the land of Moab, opposite Beth Peor, but No man knows his burial place to this day. Although Moses was 120 years old when he died, his eyesight was great and his strength was still strong. We see our loving, compassionate, and gracious God do something that he does for no one else in the Bible that we're told of. He buries Moses himself. That God buries Moses himself I believe Moses' death was an intimate one. It was between Moses and God. No, God didn't let Moses go into the promised land, but he said to Moses, I'm gonna be right here, buddy, when you take your last breath. It's gonna be me who buries you. There was no family. There were no friends. There was no eulogy. There was no pomp and circumstance. There were no professional mourners. was only God and Moses. There's something so sweet about our walk with God when it's just you and God. There's no other distraction. And it's a place you never want to leave when you experience that place. Many theologians have used this analogy of describing the death of Moses. It's like a mother when she takes her child and kisses them and then lays them down to sleep in their own bed. So did the Lord kiss the soul of Moses away to be with him forever. No man knows his burial place to this day, but oh, oh God does. Oh, how God does. And oh, how God knows what he's doing and he ain't done with Moses. Jude nine tells us that there is a huge fight that takes place. I mean, a roaring, raging fight that takes place over the body of Moses. In fact, Jude 1.9 Jude says this, but Michael, the archangel, he's the head of all the angels. He's the big burly dude. He's the big fighter dude. He's the one you don't want to mess with. When he disputed and he fought with the devil and argued about the body of Moses, did not dare pronounce against him a railing judgment, but he said this to the devil, the Lord rebuke you. You'll see in scripture that every time Michael's name appears about five times, it is in the context of battle and readiness to fight. Why this fight over the body of Moses? Most believe that the devil wanted Moses' body because the devil anticipated that God had a purpose for Moses' body. Why'd you bury him, God? Why aren't you telling anybody where his body is? Why were you there with him alone? What's up with that? The devil figured out that God's up to something. And the devil said, I'll put up a fight for the body of Moses. Moses. I'm going to try to stop and thwart and defeat the plan of God. And oh, can I say it didn't work then and it doesn't work now. He'll never thwart the plans of God. We see after Moses' death, he appears at the transfiguration of Jesus to Peter, James, and John. And it says there that Moses and Elijah were talking to Jesus at that time. Moses is alive and well. And Then I end with these verses in Revelation. I believe we see Moses and Elijah again in Revelation 11. Revelation 11:3 says this: God says, "I will grant authority to two I will grant authority to, t- to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for 1260 days, three and a half years, clothed in sackcloths." Verse six through eight. And these two witnesses will have the power to shut up the sky. Who did we see do that before? Elijah, when he was on the earth. And that the rain will not fall during the days of their prophecy. And they have power over the waters to turn them into blood. Who did that? Moses. And to strike the earth with every plague as often as they want to do it. And then when they finished their testimony, the beast that comes up out of the abyss will make war with them. And in fact, he'll overcome them and he will kill them. And their dead bodies will lie in the street. And in fact, if you read on there, it says that they'll lie in the street and it will be a day of rejoicing for all the people who are still here on the earth. And in fact, it says that they will give gifts to one another, saying basically, Happy Dead Two Witnesses Day. Here's your gift. They're dead. We rejoice over that. And they exchange gifts. Then in verse six, I'm sorry, verse 11 through 13. But after three and a half days of them being dead and lying in the streets, the breath of life from God came into them. And they stood up on their feet and great fear fell upon those who were watching them. And they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, come up here. Then they went up into heaven in the cloud and their enemies watched them. And in that hour, there was a great earthquake and a tenth of the city fell. 7,000 people were killed in the earthquake, earthquake and the rest were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. No more convincing needed here. Those two witnesses are Moses and Elijah. Clearly, we can see why Michael the archangel fought the devil for the body of Moses. God needed Moses' body for his future plan. God said, I have this plan for you, Moses. I'm not gonna tell you, you don't understand it, but right now I can't let you go into the promised land, but I will tell you I have a plan for your body at the end of time. As I wrap this up, remember that God has the best view of your life, some 30,000 higher than that feet up. God has the best view for your life. You can trust him because he's A God who keeps every promise he has ever made, and a God who loves you and will never let anything happen to you according to his perfect will. Especially now, in today's day and time. I don't know what we're about to face with everything that's coming down, but everything in this world is a mess at every level. Not only on our own homeland but abroad. It's nuts. But I know this. I know this. We may not see it at this time, but God knows what he's doing. It's not what you hear on TV or what you watch on the news. It is ultimately God who knows what he's doing. And it's not a random thing. It's a part of his plan, every single bit of it. All he's called you and me to do at this point in time is trust him. Amen? Amen. Amen. God bless you guys.